The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Father God, give us your eyes that we can love the way you do. Father, give us attention that we could pay attention to others the way you love us. Let me be filled with kindness and compassion for the that they would see you in us. Ephesians 2 and verse 4 says this as we prepare for communion. 
But God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Robert was the worst kind of thug. He uh, was growing up on the streets of London. He was actually from another town. His mother had sent him to London to, to be a barber's apprentice. But he got in with a, a street gang and ran with them. They were hoodlums. They stole from people. They uh, mugged people. They were just basically caused trouble everywhere they went. Like I said, he lived in London with, with family, but... Mostly, he was on the street with his friends. One particular week, they heard there was a gospel meeting at a Methodist church there in London, and he came up with the idea, let's go make fun of them. And then while they're in church, let's steal their stuff. So they went to this Methodist church, and George Whitefield, a great evangelist that was over in Europe, was preaching, and he preached about changing your past, and that God could do that. And and Robert, while he was a hoodlum and he was coming to steal from these people, he listened and he came to know Christ that night. And within weeks he was preaching about Jesus. And he was not trained and he was not uh, educated, but he, he began speaking. And by the age of 23, he was preaching at a large Baptist church in Cambridge, England. Right, a, right across the street from Cambridge University were a bunch of educated people, and they were letting this young man come in. Despite his young, his young age, he was respected and had quite a following. He began writing songs for his sermon. He wrote hundreds of songs during his life of ministry in the 1800s, but one you recognize and one we're going to share with you in our communion time in just a minute. It's in our hymnal is number 35, but here are some of the lyrics that I bet you'll recognize instantly. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by Flaming tongues above, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, the mount of thy redeeming love. Robert, uh, Robert Robinson is actually the lyricist for this song. And we reference this, this is one of my favorites, if not my favorite hymn of all time. And, and we reference it when he says, here I raise my Ebenezer, which is a reference to 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 12, I think, 1 Samuel 7, where it's a stone of help. Here I raise my stone of help. And we've referenced that. We've talked about that. That's a beautiful message. I'm drawn frequently to the third verse where it says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Anybody? That, to me, is very autobiographical about me. But there's one line in there I guess I've blown over. It was verse 2 that hit me this week. And it says, Jesus sought me when I was a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. He chased after me when I was wandering from the fold. And then there's that line in there, he interposed his precious blood. Now, 
sometimes we get caught up in the old English of some of these songs and we miss it. So I looked it up. What does that really mean? What does interposed really mean? It means you place or insert between one thing or another. And Roberts said, God saw the danger I was in, the death I was in, and he put something in between it. And that was the blood of his son Jesus. He interposed his precious blood for the purpose of rescuing me. God puts something in the way of Robert's death. And He does it for you too. His Son's blood is the only thing that can clean you from the past and make you a new creation. So I want to read that verse from Ephesians one more time. Before we take communion, there's going to be a song with a video played. Uh, King's Kaleidoscope did this version of it. I love the rhythm of this. And I pray that you watch the lyrics You listen and that he speaks to you, but listen to this. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Robert got it. Do you? Let's pray. And let's take communion with the one that interposed for us. Father, teach us your ways. We have raised our stone of hope from you. We are prone to wonder and leave you. Yet you rescued, you chased after us to rescue us when we wandered from the fold to rescue us from death, certain and eternal death, you interposed my brother's blood. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for interceding for us. And may we as a church family adore you, Almighty God. May we never forget. May our eyes and our hearts be drawn to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Long before the X-Files or Five Nights at Freddy's, you had The Twilight Zone. From 1959 to 1964, Rod Serling's uh, show of the weird uh, took over the airwaves and uh, it led to a lot of other shows, but this was kind of the granddaddy of them all. There was an episode that I remember called A Nice Place to Visit. It focused on a guy named Rocky. Uh, Rocky Valentine was his name, and he was kind of a thug in regular life. And he dies, and he wakes up in this room, and everything's nice, and there's this well-dressed British gentleman standing there. His name is Pip, and he says he is his guide for the next step. So he gets up, and they are walking out, and he walks out, and they walk right into a casino. And Pip reaches in his pocket and hands him $700. 
to have fun. And he walks right up to the roulette table, lays it down, bets on a number. Immediately it comes up. He wins, and everybody cheers, takes his money, goes over to Blackjack's, plays, hits 21 a couple of times, and he goes over to the next table. And by this time, the girls are coming around, and everybody's doing everything he wants. And, every, you know, he, get, he gets the right kind of drink. He gets the right kind of everything. is just the way he wants it. And he says, man, this is great. What, what am I doing here? And, and how, how come this is so great? How come I keep winning? He said, because it's your casino. Everything is set up to get everything you want. And his response is, wow, that's amazing. What did I do to get to go to heaven? And Pip says, heaven? What on earth made you think that that's where you are? You're in the other place. And at that time, the doors shut and lock. And the premise of the whole story is the other place is built on you getting everything you want and everything goes haywire from then. The whole episode is about the craziness. Is it a Christian thing to think we get all of what we want through prayer? I'm afraid sometimes we have this mindset that prayer is a lot like a, a Santa Claus list. We just throw it all out there. And sometimes when we don't get everything that we ask for, we get frustrated with God. And our faith is rattled. But we've talked about this a lot through this series, that prayer is a lot more about being in the right place than getting what I want. We've pitched out some ideas about how to pray, why to pray, what's hard. Last week we talked about dangerous prayers. But let me ask you this. Does anybody have struggles in your prayer life? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we talked last week about rote prayers, and I I fall victim to that. I say the same things. It's kind of casual. I'm not very intentional about it and not very personal. How many of us will could could honestly say we, we seem like we don't have enough time? Or we don't find the time to pray. And oh, I meant to, but I just never got around to it. How many of you, like me, suffer from prayer ADD? Some of you already know where I'm going with this. All right. I start praying. All right. I'm sitting up. I'm going to have some prayer. I got laundry to do. Oh, I need to clean that thing over there. Oh, I got to get that stuff done for the office. Anybody? And then 13 seconds later, you're not even doing that anymore. You're not even. It's just boom. And we're off somewhere. In this series, People of Prayer, I want us to talk about, and I want us to talk real raw about problems in our prayer life and what it's going, uh, why we're struggling with. We're going to be in Psalm 139. If you're joining us online or on the radio, thanks for being with us at Central Christian Church. Psalm 139 is a powerful psalm. Please turn there uh, in your app, on your in, in your Bible, uh, however you get there. We're pleased with that. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We will get you one. We want to be a Bible-believing church and a Bible-using church. Now, this passage, 139 is a, a passage we reference frequently. It's the one we talk about that he knew us, God knew us in the womb. He knew everything about us before we were ever even born. And we reference it because we get strength from God. But I want you to catch the last two lines of the 139th Psalm. And I'm going to warn you, this is a difficult prayer. It's hard to even say it, but it's way harder to live it out. Psalm 139 verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me 
and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. How many of you in here would say you're pretty good people? All right. Fairly good people. Are you a pretty good person? Not a lot of hands going up. All right. Let's let's talk about this. Um, And by show of hands, how many of you in here have ever told a lie? And if your hand is not up right now, then you're lying and you lost the game. All right. Uh, Okay. Maybe you don't think of that, but maybe you have you ever exaggerated something? Have you? Oh, no, honey, that that dress looks nice. We we ain't dumb. Uh, I'm not walking into that quicksand there. Okay, so we've done that. The rest of this, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't don't really even want to know. But have you ever stolen anything? Now, some of you are immediately going, well, I've never shoplifted at Walmart. Okay, I I get that, and I'm, I'm okay with that. But let me ask you this. Have you ever promised to meet somebody at a certain time to do something and then something came up and you didn't get there on that time. Is that happened to anybody? Would it be fair to say that I stole some of their time? I misappropriated some of their time. Now, we all have the same 24 hours in the day, so maybe we took some from somebody else. Are you a gossip? Well, no, Don. I was just telling a story so they could pray about it. Are you materialistic? Well, no, I just like nice things. Do you ever justify your actions or your habits because you're a pretty good person? Well, all of you have just admitted to being liars, selfish, thieves, gossips. That doesn't sound like good people, all right? You see, I'm afraid sometimes that we all go to the church of the good people. We're the church of good people. And this prayer from David here, it totally shatters that. Did you notice that? Right at the very beginning, he demolishes that in verse 23. Search my heart, O God. Because if we're pretty good people, I'm not going to God asking him to search me. I'm going, hey, you go search them. I'm pretty good. But he is breaking us down here. Search my heart. And and folks, this is hard because it requires that we stare into our own hypocrisy. We have to look right straight in the the face of everything that we've done wrong. Hey, I'll admit it. I haven't been very bold in my faith. I've taken a weak way out different times. My prayer life hasn't been my go-to too many times. Too many times, worry has been my go-to. Anybody? Anxiety. He says in here, find my anxious, search me and know my anxious thoughts. The pride that I have, the selfishness, the critical spirit I have. What I think this prayer is trying to do is instead of asking God to do something for you, it's asking God to see something and reveal something inside of you so he can work through you. Did you hear that? Instead of I want stuff for me, I want him to reveal stuff in me so he can work through me. We we have got to see these things. What if we had the guts and we prayed, Lord, reveal what holds my mind hostage. Help me face what holds me back. Help me to see what I'm afraid of. Because I'm afraid sometimes what we fear the most 
will show the areas where we are trusting Him the least. We're too focused on some other things. Let me see if I can play it out. You've played the what, the what if game. Something happens, well, what if it's somebody I know? What if it's cancer? What if it's, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? What, what, how are we going to pay for this? Anybody ever played that game? What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And my, my first thought is, how am I going to handle it? Most of us would recognize a phrase from uh, 2 Corinthians 10 where Paul says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture those rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Take captive everybody, every thought. We've heard this verse. Can I be honest with you? I, don't, I haven't done that very well. Sometimes I let those thoughts take me captive. Sometimes I let them run with me. And I, I'm so focused on the thoughts, instead of bringing them under the authority of Jesus. Folks, we've got to recognize our fears, because it shows where we are trusting Him the least, and how we're trying to do things on our own. And it, it may point us to some of our best opportunities to serve, because I firmly believe God shines brightest through the cracks in our life. I have some friends that are working on a prison ministry. Because they were in prison. They had family in prison, and they know these people. And a lot of people say, oh, well, we can't look at him. Man. He, he can't be a minister. He's got a, he's got a record. It's exactly who he's ministering to. That's who the family is ministering to because they've got strength in there. They've got a connection there. They, they, they'll listen to him. i got other friends that they can't get out very much anymore. Their, their health doesn't allow them to do it. So they spend a lot of time writing cards and sending texts and encouraging people. And the enemy might, might come in here and try to whisper to you, uh, like the video at the beginning, you're an addict, you'll always be an addict, you're a loser, you'll always be a loser. And, and God comes in and He says, how could we take the baggage that you're dealing with and turn it into something good? How can we use your weak areas to shine for Him? Because when we do, when we say, search me and know what I'm worried about, I give it to God and the enemy doesn't have the power on that anymore. That's where we need to be. But David continues in Psalm 139 and he says, point out anything that offends you. Yikes. Talk about a dangerous prayer. It takes guts to say that, to really look at God and say, Point out how I'm blowing it. Because God will go, all right. <laughs> it's finna to get ugly, but we're going to do this. Because I think, honestly, now this is just me. This is, just, this is not from Scripture. This is Don talking. I think when we justify our behavior, we usually find somebody worse than us to compare ourselves to. Yeah, I'm not Hitler. I'm not Dahmer. I'm not Jeffrey. I don't, I'm, at least I'm not that bad of a guy. And so we always compare ourselves to somebody that's noticeably worse than us instead of comparing ourselves to the Almighty God, comparing ourselves to Jesus. I want, I, want to sh- I want you, God, to show me how I'm, not, how I'm not shining Jesus. Now, that takes guts. And we need God's help to see the sin that's difficult to see in the mirror. I doubt you need any ideas on helping find what's wrong, but... Go with me for just a minute. I, let me see if we can cross a few of them. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 58, but let me ask you this. How do you place yourself in relation to those that are below you? 
And I was very specific about that phrase. So hear me out. We're going to look at something in Isaiah, and I want you to be thinking with that phrase in line. How do you put yourself in relation to those that are below you? Flip over a few pages to Isaiah chapter 58, but let me set the tone, set the scene for you here. What is happening in 56, 57, 58, and 59? The people of Israel, we know the whole story. They were in Egypt. They got out in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness for a while. They got the tabernacle. Everybody remember the tabernacle? That was the big tent. That's where God would meet them. And then they got to the point where they could build the temple, the permanent house of God. And then we went to God and we got the temple built. And they built the temple, but God's not responding to them. All of these Israelites are, are doing all of the rituals that they were told to do, and they don't, they're not hearing anything from God. So I want you to pick up with me in Isaiah chapter 58, specifically in verse 3, and I need you to know that this is God talking through Isaiah. All of these leaders have come to Isaiah and said, how come God's not listening to us? This is God speaking to them through Isaiah in verse 3. We've fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourself. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap. You cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Now I'm in verse 6 right here. Watch this. No, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. In verse 8, he says, Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. So how do you treat, how do you place yourself, how do you treat people that can't help you, that are below you? You hearing me? Because all of the things that the Israelites were doing were religious things. They were checking off all the boxes. They were doing all the religion, but they weren't helping anybody. Do you notice there in verse 8, all the things that God, or excuse me, verse 6, all the things that God, none of them have to do with in the church. They have everything to do with how I talk to people, how I treat people, how I deal with people out in the community. Do we hear the cries of the poor and the overwhelmed? I'm not talking about starting more programs. I'm talking about our prayer life, opening our minds, opening our eyes so that we see needs. For several years here, almost six years, we ran the, excuse me, we, we ran the TFAP food distribution program out of Central Christian. Wonderful program. We were never bad. We didn't quit it. We, we were to a point where it was overwhelming. We, and we didn't have the facilities. We, they needed a, a walk-in freezer. They needed a walk. We were in violation of a lot of things. And so I was working with the food bank, and they said, well, we, we'll stop when you're ready to stop. And I said, well, I'm not ready to stop. but we. So we paused it, 
And then a couple of months later, COVID hit, and it all got shut down anyway. It would have got shut down two months later. Uh, through COVID, uh, La Casa picked it up. We have some people that work with La Casa. They are, they're running that program through the government, and it's wonderful. But in the process of the, about the last year or so, some of our brothers and sisters over at Calvary Baptist Church noticed that some people are not getting fed enough. They're not getting enough. So they started a program called Calvary Cares. And the two days a, a month, two different, I think it's Thursdays a month, that they, they have drive up and they, they give out food. They're, they're raising money to add on to their building just to have a, a walk-in freezer and a walk-in fridge. And they're doing all this to, to serve our community. That's the kind of stuff we need to be getting on board with. That's the kind of stuff we need to be partnering with other agencies, other churches, so that people are impacted. Our DNOW program that's coming up in a couple, three weeks that we keep harping on everybody to register, part of it in the afternoon, our teenagers are going to have a work project. And it might be over there. It might be at the food bank in Clovis. We don't have all the logistics worked out yet, but a chance to put into practice what God is saying. Have we closed our eyes to the hurting? Let me read you this from Proverbs and see if this applies. Proverbs 21 says this, Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Did you hear that? Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. We just sang that song, From the Homeless to the Famous and In Between. You see, folks... If reading the Bible causes me to scrutinize others more than myself, I am reading the Bible incorrectly. If it's causing me to find flaws with all of you people and not find flaws right here, then I'm not reading it correctly. I am missing out on so much of it. But when the community sees us loving on people, we want our doctrine correct. Absolutely. But... We want to be loving on people. When we do, we love Fertalis, or we're painting a house, or we're working in the park, or we're feeding people. The community sees that. When they see that, it's a big deal. And friends, I will promise you, your prayer life will become more active. When you will pray, help me to love with open arms, like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Do we have the guts to listen? Do we have the guts to partner? Do we have the guts to love like he does? Now go back to Psalm 139. There's one more line in there that David uses. He says, lead me on a path of righteous, lead me on the path of everlasting life. Lead me, point me, direct me. I want you to see this picture. If you're listening on the radio, you're just going to have to go look it up. Uh, I want you to see this picture. It's a picture I took of one of the synagogues that we were at four years ago in Israel. And we had gone to three or four different synagogues. A synagogue was in a small community church where God would meet the people there. That was the whole premise of synagogue. And we would go to the synagogue, and we had been there, and we'd go through these, and all oh, this is cool. And our guide says, stop for a second. And we were on the steps. He says, what do you see? He said, look down and look at your steps. What do you see? I was like, I don't know. I mean, they're old steps. The thing's probably... 5,000 years old, so they're kind of worn. He said, are they straight? Well, yeah, I guess they're kind of straightish. And, you know, like I said, 5,000 years of wear. Are they even? Are they smooth? No. And he said, every synagogue is built this way. They're, the steps to a synagogue are never meant to be even. They are meant to be uneven. 
because you must be out of your rhythm to approach God. Man, that stung me. That was powerful. You don't walk up casually. You don't just do 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 do. You gotta. Maybe this is a full step. Maybe this is a toe step. I don't know. You gotta. You gotta plan. You gotta make sure you're aware because they are trying to train us. You don't casually walk up to God. You do it on purpose, which poses me another question: Is your prayer life on purpose? I'm afraid too many. Too much of mine is. Oh, it's a meal. Everybody, grab a hand. Oh. Uh, Oh, it's bedtime. I better say a quick prayer. Anybody? Is it on purpose? Is it intentional? That video that Franklin made that opens our sermon, it is not true that following Jesus was meant to be safe. That should remind us. And we sang that song, I will make room for you. Which is a beautiful line, but it's the next line right after that that wrecks you. To do what you want to do. I will make room for you to do what you want to do in my life. That's a powerful prayer. I wonder if one of the biggest problems with our prayer life is a lack thereof. A lack of a prayer life. James chapter 4 says you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. In the King James Version, you have not because you ask not. Tony Evans tells a story about a Promise Keepers event. Anybody remember Promise Keepers? Been to Promise Keepers? They were doing a big Promise Keepers event out in Florida. And 50,000 people are registered. It's a big deal, but it's at a football stadium. It's outside, and there are clouds everywhere. And all of the apps predicted huge torrential rains all day long. And they're all kind of panicking. All right, This is like 20 years ago. They don't know what to do. So they gather up all the leadership committee. And he's telling this story about himself. He said they get him in there, and it's Coach McCartney. It's all these big-name speakers. I mean, some heavy hitters. And he said, and without fail, all of us men preachers gave preacher prayers. God, uh, we believe in your power, and we just want your will be done. There was nothing heresy about any of their prayers. There's nothing illegal or wrong with any of their prayers. They were just kind of safe. And it got around the, the circle to one little old lady. She was an African-American lady from the area, was part of the committee. She was in charge of raising money and getting organized and logistics, and she, she was there. And Tony says she prayed a different kind of prayer. Everybody else was real elaborate and loud and... And she prayed one line. It got around to her, and she said this, God, you told us to do this. Now send this storm somewhere else. (laughs) And all them preachers are doing the one eye. You know what I'm talking about? What's she doing? What's she talking about? Well, sure enough, they get ready to start this thing. It's cloudy. It starts sprinkling. But as those of us in Portales know about the cone of silence and rain, you know, how we get it coming down from Roswell and Elida, and then it gets right to our city limits, and it goes like this, and then it, and then it meshes back up, and Muleshoe gets all of our rain. Anybody know that? That's exactly what happened there. They said it rained everywhere all around there, but that stadium just got a little bit of a sprinkle in the morning, was dry the rest of the day. Now, you can sit there and say that was a weather-related incident. That was a coincidence. You can say whatever you want, okay? And... I just love the story. I wonder if we're missing power because we're not on our knees. We're not intentional about our prayer life. You see, when we say, search me, when we pray, search me, he will answer that prayer. 
And he will show us areas that offend him. And he will show us areas that we need to grow closer to him. It could be painful. How many of you like to grow gardens, flowers, things like that? I like to do that too. I like my flowers in my courtyard. Do you realize that none of us actually do that? I mean, let's be honest. At best, we provide circumstances for things to grow. Sorry, Mike, you don't grow anything, but uh, but he works hard at it. But at best, we provide circumstances. We try to get the soil ready. We try to make sure it gets water. We try to make sure it's on the right side of the house for the sunlight. None of those things we made, by the way. In, in essence, all we did was produce conditions that are optimal for growth. Now, when we get in here and we start talking about prayer life and revival and wanting to change our community, the temptation is this, in my opinion. The temptation is we got to work harder. We gotta we gotta pray more, and we gotta get more people praying and get a program of praying. The temptation is to make it all about our our willpower, friends. Growth happens when the conditions are correct. When a tree is healthy, an apple tree will produce, shockingly, apples. And it doesn't have to work at it. It doesn't go, ah, there's an apple. It just, apples just grow, right? They just, that's part of the, the plant. When the conditions are ready to grow, here's the tough question. Is your heart ready to grow? I hear a lot of people talking, we want revival, let's get revival. Is your heart ready for real revival? Is your heart willing to say this prayer in Psalm 139, search me and get rid of the things that offend you? Because I'm telling you, it's dangerous. That is a hard prayer. It takes a lot of guts to pray that prayer. I pray that our hearts are ready for revival. One of my favorite images in all the Bible happens in Exodus 17. You don't have to go there. You probably know the story. We're just going to talk through it. And we'll, we'll close up with this in just a few minutes. But Israel is in the wilderness. They've gotten out of Egypt, and they're wandering around the wilderness. And the warriors from Amalek attack. Now, that's the Amalekites or Amalekites, however you want to pronounce it. But they're big, bad warriors. And Moses hollers at Joshua, say, hey, you round up some people, you go down there in that fight, in that valley and fight with them. I'm going to go up here on this hill. Yeah, what? Say what? <laughs> yeah, you go fight. You get the sword. You maybe get stabbed, but I'm going to go stand up on this hill and raise my arm. All right? That's a, and that's the whole premise of the story. And you know what happens, that Moses goes up on the hill with Aaron and her, and he lifts the staff of God, and he praises and prays to God. And while his hands are in the air, and while he is praising God, Israel is winning. But as things happen, it gets kind of tiring. And so we start, our arms go down, we do this a little, we might do this a little. And when his arms went down, the Amalekites won. They started pushing, pushing back. So Aaron and her that were with them, were with him up there on that hill. They got him a, a rock to sit on. And then one of them got on one side and held up his arm. And the other one got on the other side and held up his arm. It's one of the most beautiful images in all of Scripture to me. Not the war imagery, but the partnering together. 
maybe you're in this room. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you just tuned in. You don't know anything about this, Jesus. You're not sure about any of this, but you're struggling. Can we be a people that come alongside you and hold your arms up? Because you're tired of being a single parent. And you're tired and worn out of, of struggling with your finances. And you're just overwhelmed with your physical pain. We want to stand with you. This series has been really challenging to me. Um, and I've, I've loved the videos that are going out. And I've had several times in the last couple of weeks, somebody text me, Hey man, can, how can I pray for you today? And I love that. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I've given kind of preacherish answers. Hey, pray for the boldness of the Spirit. I mean, nothing, again, nothing heresy. But I got one earlier this week, and it was happened to be a kind of a challenging day for me. I was struggling with some stuff and didn't have a real good attitude, so I just kind of let them know. So, so it's a couple that's a real close friend of mine, and she said, how can I pray for you? And so I, I said, hey, we're struggling at home. We got, we got this situation with one of our kids. We're trying to deal with it. We, we don't know. Everything I do seems to make it worse instead of better. And I, you know, I was just really in a bad place. So I just kind of let it out and just was raw. She said, we're on it. And she called her husband, and he called me about 30 minutes later. He said, hey, man, I'm on my way. We're going to come over, and we're going to pray over you. And, man, they've been sending me texts and calls. Wow. Do you realize how empowering that phrase is? How can I pray for you? And if we do that to everybody, how can we pray for you? Prayer has never been about getting what we want. It's been about chasing after the heart of Almighty God. That verse that says David was a man after God's own heart, that always bugged me. I always struggled with that verse. How could that guy, he was a bonehead. He messed up all the time. How could he be a God after a man after God's own heart? Until I really broke it down and I said, David was a man after God's heart. He was chasing after the heart of God. I want to know your heart and I want you to know my heart. Search me, oh God. That's why this People of Prayer series is so important for praise team to start making their way back up here. That's why this thing is so important. Not that we should do this. Well, we ought to be at church praying. That we will do this. That we will hold up each other's arms. Maybe you're hurting and you need somebody to pray with you and to hold up your arms. Maybe you know somebody that's struggling and you need to get out of here and you need to go hold their arms up. That's fine. Maybe... What I want us to get out of this series is not 31 days of prayer. I want us to have a lifestyle of prayer. A habit where we are chasing after the, God, the heart of God. Where a heart where we will make room for Him to do whatever He needs to do. So will you pray with me and will you sing with us and ask God to search our hearts and to do what He needs to do. Let's pray together. Father, this is a hard, hard prayer. Just say, search me and, and find the anxious thoughts in me. But we're asking for that. We're asking for you to search us. We're asking for you to draw out those things that offend you. And we're asking you to move in our hearts so that we can make room for you to do the things you need to do. Maybe that's changed some habits. Teach us to stop justifying and put 
our hearts and our habits in your hand. May we be a people of prayer that honors you. Father, you are so good to us. May we listen to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.